Amen. Hey, once again, we are in, that's right, our second time. That means it's part two. That's right, John, Freemasonry of our study. And if you were here last time, we moved on from our occult study, 66 weeks on the occult. Who's counting? I was, and I still am. 66 weeks days, we dealt with witchcraft, we dealt with Satanism, voodoo, vampires, druidism, shamanism, all that kind of stuff. And then we moved to our basically now, not the occult, but occult societies. And that's basically what Freemasonry is. This is the first one. Uh, but Freemasonry is the big one, so that's what we're starting off with. Now, if you hear last time, we basically did what I call the shot across the bow, about as blunt as you could make it. If, this, if that was the only study that you were part of or you watched online, hopefully it sent the clarion obvious call a Christian warning. No Christian, no church, nobody should have any business messing with this group. And we were very blunt scripturally with that, in love, and that if you are professing to be a Christian or if you are a church and you think this is perfectly fine, you need to repent, you need to run, and you need to get right with God. About as blunt as you can make it, and we dealt with that. No Christian has any business being a part of this because we saw they conduct their meetings in secret. They have secret handshakes, secret meetings, secret symbols, secret messages, secret oaths at the penalty of death. When as a Christian, what are we supposed to be doing with God's truth? We are to shout it from the rooftops. We don't do that. Our only allegiance also, unlike Freemasonry, is Jesus Christ and him alone. The true light of the world, the one and only God, the God that is in the Bible and only the Bible, not Lucifer, their light, who they freely clearly worship. Again, that's about as blunt as we can make it. And again, just to add more proof, why in the world would any Christian be a part of this organization? Even just getting into the, your foot in the door with the bloody oath is beyond me, right? How do you rationalize that coming out of that? And somehow, hey, I'm perfectly fine to do this. It makes no sense. Let me give you another teaser of those bloody oaths that you have to do. This is at the very first step of becoming a Mason. You tell me if any Christian should be a part of this. Let's take a look. The candidate for entered apprentice stands behind the door waiting to be summoned. He's blindfolded and there's a noose around his neck with a length of rope trailing behind. His chest is exposed at the left breast and his left pant leg rolled up. The doorkeeper raps three times and announces that the candidate desires to enter and obtain the privileges of Freemasonry. With that, the candidate is escorted into the lodge by the inner guard. The guard holds the tip of a dagger against the candidate's bare chest and asks if he feels anything. Next, the candidate kneels before the head of the lodge, the worshipful master, and they engage in a ritual question and answer. He's led by the rope or cable toe to an altar with a Bible or other holy book. Standing with his heels together to form a square, the candidate now kneels. He places his right hand on the Bible and with his left, presses the point of a compass against his chest. He swears to forever conceal and never reveal any of the secret arts, parts, or points of the hidden mysteries of Freemasonry. If he breaks that promise, he binds himself to having my throat cut across, my tongue torn out, my body buried in the sands of the sea at low tide. The assembled brothers rise and give the sign of the entered apprentice, right hand held palm down beneath the chin, with the elbows straight out. The master asks the candidate what he seeks. He replies, the light. The master strikes his gavel and the hood is removed. Now the candidate is shown three sacred objects, the holy book, the square, and the compass. 
The master reminds him that he faces terrible retribution should he ever betray the organization's secrets. Next comes instruction in the secret hand sign, or grip, and the secret word, Boaz. The candidate receives his Masonic badge and the symbolic tools, a gavel and a ruler. The candidate leaves to change clothes and returns to receive the final charges. He's again warned he must never reveal any secrets of the Brotherhood. Secrecy, if you haven't noticed, is a big deal. The new brother has entered the first grade of Freemasonry. Above it are two more, fellow Kraft and Master Mason. Each has its ritual, oath of secrecy, and prescribed horrible punishments. It's exactly like our membership classes here. I don't know about you guys, but man, I know Pastor Bobby was doing this before. But ever since I started pointing that people at people's chest, it's just skyrocketing. Yeah, sure, I'll do whatever you want. Are you kidding me? How can you sit there and profess to be a Christian and make it? Th I mean, the moment they put a blindfold on you, by the way, that's where we get the word hoodwinked. We'll get into that. That's from Freemason. We'll get to that Lord one next week. Uh, it's in a verbiage too, folks. But how do you how do you even make it to the moment they put a blindfold on me? Wouldn't you want to run? Wouldn't you run? And then you make it through that, and he's like, "Hey, what's that pointy thing? I hope it's not a pencil sharpener. What what is that?" <laughs> and then a bloody oath not to reveal what? Okay, it's crazy. Professing Christians say it's no big deal to be a part of that. Again, we dealt with that again last night. But again, I don't know if you guys realize this. Uh, used to be just for men only, but now. Actually, for quite a while, they've opened the doors for ladies as well. Free masonry for women. Let me give you a taste of that. They want to make sure everybody gets involved in this occult society. But let's take a look at that. They're one of the most secretive organizations in the world. There are certain secrets that you have to earn. Famous for unexplained rituals. Where were you first prepared to be a Freemason? In my heart. Describe the mode of your preparation. My right arms, left breast, and knee made bare. And they face regular accusations of corruption. All the men in my family are Freemasons. I'm the only girl to go into masonry. If a man can do it, so can I. For the first time, we've been given access inside this highly secretive society to find out the truth behind the intrigue. The Freemasons are a secretive society that practice rituals in a temple and promote brotherly love. Although they have always been associated with men, we've gained access to the two female Freemason groups in the UK, the Order of Women Freemasons and the Honourable Fraternity of Ancient Freemasons. This looks like any other leafy street in central London, but this is the international headquarters of one of the most secretive and mysterious organisations in the world. And for the first time, they're exclusively opening the doors to us. This is the Order of Women Freemasons. There's a meeting today for the quarterly communication of Grand Lodge, where only members of a certain rank can attend. The most worshipful the Grand Master, Christine Chapman. And this is the second group we've been given access to. 
the Honourable Fraternity of Ancient Freemasons. Right Worshipful Assistant Grandmaster, whom do you represent? Hiram, Prince of Architects, Most Worshipful the Grandmaster. And your duty? To lay plans, draw designs and assist the Most Worshipful the Grandmaster in the execution of her work. The female Freemasons were formed in 1908. Their male counterparts have been meeting for at least 300 years. Their practices involve secret handshakes, rolling up their trouser legs, wearing blindfolds and even nooses around their necks. They are currently headed up by the Queen's cousin, the Duke of Kent. But Freemasons have been accused of favouritism, helping each other rise up the career ladder and covering up each other's mistakes. Covering up each other's mistakes. We're going to see some proof of that tonight because that is a classic thing that's done with Freemasonry, with the secret handshakes, with the secret signs. When you go to court, you do that, and that judge is bound by the Freemasonry oath to be lenient to you. Above all courts of law, above everything. And we're going to see some of that proof. That's what they mean about what you just saw. Notice it was also a lot of nobility over there in the UK. We'll get into that as well uh, and how that got started. But again, uh, and, and uh, again, we'll probably have a whole study, Lord willing, on Joseph Smith and Freemasonry. And he ripped off much of what his so-called secret rights in Mormonism came straight out of Freemasonry. Uh, and he tried doing the secret handshake thing with the judge, but the people still killed him uh, for sleeping with their wives, with the polygamy. Okay, but it still goes on today, and we're going to see proof of that, that given uh, secret. That. But not only males, but also females. Now, the female participation, part of the rise of that uh, is due to the Order of the Eastern Star, Rainbow Girls, Job's Daughters. You also have the Order of the Armonth, the Ladies' Oriental Shrine of North America, the Order of the White Shrine of Jerusalem, Heroines of Jericho, the Order of Cyrenes, and the Order of Weavers, just to name a few. And Lord willing, as we progress in our study, if we're still alive and still here, we'll deal with the branches because the men have their own, like the Demolay and the others, to suck in the younger crowds to get them into the, uh, as adults into Freemasonry. But the ladies also, as I mentioned, a bunch of them here also have theirs. So there's a lot of sub-organizations and things of that nature. Individual will probably get to that as well. But we left off last time. How in the world did all this begin? And how did Freemasonry not only get prevalent around the world, but even here in the United States? And as we saw last time, how in the world did it get in the church? And you think, well, that's a conspiracy theory. It's not in the church. What church in the right mind would do that and, and go to sleep at night thinking that's perfectly okay? with the bloody oaths and all this other secrecy and all that kind of stuff. Well, again, if you were here last time, I shared two personal encounters that I've dealt with that in ministry over the years in two different uh, churches, uh, stepped into that mess. But let me give you another little teaser. And as we progress, you're going to see more and more evidence, folks. This is all over the place, including in the church, in America, all over the place. These are the entities that are controlling the church. You wonder why so many churches don't seem to uh, put up much of a fight when it comes to, listen, what are you talking about? We need to uh, love everybody and tolerate everyone and all different religions and all get along together. That's Freemasonry, folks. But why does that come from the church? Well, maybe it's because the people around the church, they're Freemasons, right? It's crazy. There's a direct pattern that we'll see there. But let me give you another uh, proof positive that this is really going on. Freemasonry still to this day is allowed open face in churches, including their ceremonies. Right? Let me give you just one quick example and move on. Thank you for allowing us to sit in on the service. Instead of doing the second service to see the big team, we'd have to be able to pick that off. We got a legend. Thank you for allowing us to do that.
singing songs to Jesus, supposedly, in your mason garb. promise in a church facility to propagate the knowledge of the mystic art, not Jesus, not the Bible, not God, not the gospel, but the mystic occult art of Freemasonry. This is what's going on in churches, folks. Okay, and again, we're going to get into that in greater detail. But again, how in the world, you take a look at this, how in the world could anybody, a born-again Christian, dwell with the Spirit of God and go to sleep at night with this? And somehow say it's perfectly fine. You got no conscience. You got no, there should be a quandary there. Okay. You're a part of a secret organization with secret handshakes, secret meetings, secret symbols, secret messages, secret oaths that are bloody oath under the penalty of death if you reveal. And you have an allegiance over that organization than Jesus Christ. I don't think so. Now, what's interesting is you put all this together. This is an occult secret society. And it's not just in the world. Where is it? It's in the church. You wonder why things are so messed up. Go back just a little bit what we've seen over the last couple of years in just the occult studies. You got witchcraft in the church. You got Satanism in the church. You got voodoo and shamanism and druidism and even vampires in the church. Now you have occult societies in the church directing the church. And you wonder why things are so messed up. But hey, let's just ignore it, act like it's not happening, and learn to be a better you. Yeah, that's why this stuff keeps happening, and it's allowed to continue, is because people don't deal with these issues. But we are, because we're Sunrise Bible Church. But again, how in the world did all this begin? Well, thanks for asking. It works well with my notes. We're going to begin now the journey of the history of Freemasonry. Last time was basically, my goal was, if you could only watch one video, attend one thing, it was very blunt. If you're a professing Christian, you better run, repent, and get right with God. You better get out of this thing ASAP, no bones about it, and get it out of your church. If your church won't do it, you better lead that church. Okay, number one. Now we're going to see how in the world did it begin, not just in the world, but in the church. You're going to see how it also came into the church uh, tonight. But before we get into that, let's again remind ourselves biblically why any professing Christian, any born-again believer has no part of any so-called secret organization. That's an oxymoron that should never come out of your mouth. It's directly opposite of what the Bible says that we are called to do as Christians, okay? So our opening text is Matthew 5. Again, we're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say and what Jesus calls us as Christians to do, okay? And you tell me if it's any ounce of it is compatible with the mindset 
the secret mindset, secretive behavior of Freemasonry. Rhymes with, I don't think so, but that's just me. Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 13 through 16. Again, this is a classic passage from Jesus saying that we are the salt and the light. Also, if you wanted to add another layer of identity, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, as we see in our prophecy studies, he also calls us not just the salt and the light, but the Bible says that as Christians, specifically in the last days, we're a restraining influence against evil. Right? That doesn't mean you go along with it. doesn't mean you comply. We're restrained. But that's a little side note. Salt and light. Let's take a look there. Jesus said, you are the what? The salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Basically, if salt loses its saltiness, what is it? it's just it's road salt. How many guys uh, make it a habit that uh, if you've ever been in other places where it's got this weird... Uh, it's like white liquid. It falls from the sky. I mean, not here. I mean, it's, it's called snow. Have you ever been in those lands, those crazy lands where snow? Yeah, right? Okay, and snow. And so if you get a lot of snow, uh, then what do they do? They put road salt out, right, to give traction, to melt the snow, melt the ice, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know about you guys. I, I've lived in Midwest. I've pastored in New York before Vegas. That was road salt city, man, especially back there. But it was awesome. And as soon as the snow came, I'm going, yes, I don't have to go to the store anymore to buy Morton's. I'm just going to wait for that truck to come by. And we would scoop it up. Me and the kids, man, we'd feel bowls full of it. We'd put it on popcorn. We... No, we didn't. Right? Because that salt is nothing good. It's just you don't eat that salt. The only thing that that salt is good for is what? To, for the road, for traction, for all that stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, you're called to be the salt. But if you won't be the salt, what are you? You're no good. And they would throw it in the temple, you know, just for traction. That's the, you've been reduced to basically road salt. You, you lost your, don't, don't, don't lose, you need to be the salt. Don't lose your saltiness. But not just salt, here's the other one. He says you're also the what? You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you guys were there, John was there this time. Uh, we were on the Sea of Galilee. But the first time I went there, we went uh, purposely at dusk so that we could be on the Sea of Galilee and if you're there, you're completely surrounded by hills, okay, large hills, many mountains, if you will, and you're there, and, and, and as soon as it got dark, then, uh, it, it, then every, you could see every little light, every little teeny, it could have been a porch light from somebody, it just pops on, you can't miss it, you can't help but see it, right? And, and that's what Jesus is talking about, it's just common sense, right? You, you, a light, uh, what's a light meant to do? To shine. It's meant to illuminate. And that's why he draws in the other. You know, if you got a city on a hill, of course, you're on a hill. Imagine you're in the Sea of Galilee. It's completely pitch dark. And as soon as the city lights up, is there any way to hide it? It's impossible. Right? And that's why he's saying, right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they what? They put it on a stand. Why? Because it's designed to what? To give light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what? Praise your Father in heaven. The whole purpose of you and I as Christians, when it comes to being Christians and sharing God's truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Okay, what are we supposed to do with it? As soon as we become born again, we secret it away. We tuck it in our pockets. We, we shove everything in the closet, right? And keep it there. You know, guests come over, ah, wait a second. You cram everything. Every piece of paraphernalia, man, you hide it in the kitchen counters, whatever. Stick it in the fridge. I don't care. Just get it out of there. Because it's all a secret. It's all a secret. And the only people that we share this secret message from Jesus Christ is if they come through that front door and they give us the right hand knuckle handshake. Right? No! 
how? That's stupid, right? What's he say? We don't secret away. We don't hide away. We don't secure it away from everybody in the dark. Okay? We don't only give it to those who have secret handshakes, attend secret meetings, can interpret our secret symbols and secret messages, and who take a bloody oath that if you reveal what I'm about to share with you in secret, then we're going to kill you. Now, of course, I'm using sarcasm to make a point, but what's the point? That's exactly what Freemasonry is. And you're supposed to be a Christian? How is that compatible? How does it get in your, how do you go to sleep at night? It's crazy. We do not do that. We are called to teach, number one, God's truth. And that's the other thing. They're not even teaching God's truth. We're to teach God's truth. We don't uh, hide it away. Okay. We don't keep it to ourselves. We don't conceal it. We don't hide it. We shine it for the whole world to see. And we saw last time we shot it from the rooftops. This is completely antithetical. The premise of the secret organization, secret anything, is completely antithetical to biblical Christianity. But it's crept into the church, so let's deal with that journey. How did it get in the church, not just in the world? Let's take a look at that. Freemasonry, or also known masonry, or as we saw last time, it's also simply called what? Craft. I wonder why. It's just missing one word. Witchcraft. And we saw last time, there's complete direct parallels to witchcraft. We'll see that again tonight in the degrees in just a little bit. It's the largest secret fraternity in the world. That's why we're dealing with this one first. Its so-called purpose is to unite people in fellowship under the principles of the fatherhood of God. Their God is not the same God of the Bible, not even close. The brotherhood of man, we all just need to get along. And the immortality of the soul. You know, a lot of people that uh, become Freemasons or have family that are Freemasons, they try to justify it, even professing Christians. They'll say, it's just a do-gooders club. We just do good stuff for the community. They themselves will freely admit, no, it's, quote, for the immortality of the soul. And they put their trust not in Jesus Christ. They put their trust in being a good Mason is how they're going to get to heaven with the secret words to open up the doors to heaven. I am not joking. They admit it's a spiritual organization. So don't fall for this. Oh, it's just, we do good stuff. Yeah, you may, quote, do good stuff, but it's a lot more than that. Don't be fooled by that. Masonry exists in various forms all over the world. Membership is estimated around 5 million, including 2 million alone in the United States. Technically, at least as far as we know, historically, there is no single individual that we can say, that guy started it. Okay. But what we do know, you start to see... Signs of masonry as far back as early as the 1500s, okay, to the 1600s. Uh, some oldest, the oldest Masonic document dates back to 1390, technically, okay. Uh, but what we're going to see tonight, there's a date out there, if you do the research, that they basically say this is when it really started. Well, it, you know, it kind of had early signs early on. It's kind of like the Protestant Reformation, right? They say it started with Martin Luther, no, it started a couple hundred years before that. You know, when John Huss and John Wycliffe kind of paved the way for Martin Luther. Okay, but Martin Luther kind of gets the credit for it. Okay, so similar thing. So yeah, 1717, but really if you look at it, uh, Freemasonry started you know, before that, and we'll get to that in a second. But Masonry appears to develop in its current form in the late 1500s, early 1600s. Masonic, here's the key word, legend, because <laughs> that's what it is. You know, I don't know if this was the inspiration between uh, behind Joseph Smith's uh, ability to not just plagiarize, but make up stories, okay, including the Book of Mormon, as we saw in our Mormonism study. But these guys, they have claims. They claim, listen, that they can trace their origins all the way back to the building of Solomon's Temple 
building the pyramids. Here comes, as we saw last time, your Egyptian occult gods and goddesses influence. And also, they believe they can even trace it down to the, quote, ancient civilization of Atlantis. That it was the Masons who built all these amazing structures and things of that nature. But again, the key word there is legend because their own institution obviously wasn't even around uh, at the time of Solomon and the things of that nature. So again, they just kind of make it up. Uh, let's continue on. Freemasonry is organized by these things. They're called uh, lodges. Okay, they meet in a lodge. Okay, and then you get several lodges. Okay, and then they're governed by what's called a Grand Lodge, okay? And that's kind of their organizational uh, structure, okay? And you go like, well, why do they call them lodges? Well, let's do that. In medieval Europe, large construction projects such as castles and cathedrals was the big, big, big deal, okay? Uh, they were mainly built by free, itinerant, skilled tradesmen, right? Basically kind of like a private contractor. Uh, and that's where you get the mason. And so back in the day, what would they use as tools to build castles and cathedrals? They would use a stone, right? So you would need a stone mason, and this was the big project. And these, these things, especially the cathedrals and castles you don't build overnight, and you see some of the big ones if you've ever been over Europe, uh, they take a while, right? So these guys were the specialists, the specialist builders of the days, okay? Now, by the way, just as a side note, uh, they, this, I mentioned Martin Luther. You go back to when he uh, did his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, the church door there, uh, rejecting Catholicism. Uh, part of it is he re uh, rejected against uh, what was called indulgences, okay? Indulgences. And indulgences were basically, this is how the Catholic Church uh, drummed up the money to pay these masons to build the cathedrals, which sometimes could take decades, right? These big giant edifices still all over Europe. And what they would do is they would go into communities and they would basically say, hey, if you put money in this coffer, okay, uh, we have an itemized list here and you will be absolved of your sins. And they, I'm not joking. It's called an indulgence. They still Indulgence, and basically, and I'll just throw out some numbers. If you slept with a prostitute, $2.15. You throw it in there, you'll be absolved of that sin, right? You stole something from somebody, $5.33. You put it in there and whatever. And they literally had an itemized list of sins, and here's the payment that you need to put in here in order to be absolved. And people did it. That's how they drummed up money to build all these edifices you see if you ever had the privilege of ever going to Europe and driving around. Okay, and that's just a little side note. But the masons were there because you got to pay the masons. You got to pay these stone workers, right? Anyway, so why do they call them lodges? Because when they're building these castles in these cathedrals, these skilled workmen made castles and cathedrals out of stone, they lived together in huts or sheds that they called lodges. So that's where you get the lodge of Freemasonry. And in these lodges, as they're working, sometimes for decades on these projects, they shared their politics and, quote, religion as well. Uh, during this, you can imagine just like today, if you've ever uh, been in a skilled trade or trained for a skilled trade, uh, before I got saved, I used to do uh, carpentry work and whatever, but you basically, you start out, you're the what? The apprentice. And you sat under who? Right? A journeyman, that's a, a kinder word, but I think we call it the master. Right? And so you have the master and the apprentice. What do they still use today in Freemasonry? 
the same mindset. So this is kind of where it comes from. But they were also taught, and I quote, spiritual values of integrity and brotherhood and a belief in, here's the key word, a God. And this is a common theme. It's whatever God you want to bring to the table. So don't say this is Christian because it's not. Not even close. Now, gradually, they begin to add allegories and symbolism and rituals to this kind of group. And eventually, they uh, came up with their own theology and symbolism and rituals to, quote, encompass broader religious ideals. As we're going to see, a common thread with Freemasonry is anything goes. And you have no right to tell anybody that their path is wrong. Sound familiar? Not just in the world, but where? In the church. I wonder if it's a Freemasonry influence. Not just New Age or Hinduism. Could be. Including what they added to the plate, medieval European occultism. And that's a secular article that mentioned that. Okay? So it's not a conspiracy. So they basically grabbed it all together and whatever and created this year. So let's, where did it begin to take off? So again, this is basically, we're starting off in mainly in Europe. Okay, is where this beginning takes place. Why? Because where they build the castles and the cathedrals. Same area. You got it? All right. Now, on May 20th, 1641, this guy, Sir Robert Moray, the, he was like a Van Halen fan or something, but uh, <laughs> these guys that started the rocker hair, right, right, right. No, I don't know. I guess it was style back then, right? But anyway, so Sir Robert Moray, he was initiated into Freemasonry, okay, in Edinburgh. This is actually a Scottish lodge. But the reason why his name comes up, because he is the uh, first man initiated into Freemasonry on English soil. All right. So this is it, technically, he gets the title of the first English Freemasonry. Okay. And then in 1716, four lodges met. And again, uh, now you've got multiple lodges. So now what do you got to do? Well, you need somebody to oversee them. So then they developed their first Grand Lodge to or oversee the other lodges, and then it began to take off. You had, and this is where I'm going, the watershed moment was the first Grand Lodge in England was 1717. All right? That's when you hear a lot of people say, and, they, and I'm not disagreeing per se, they say, okay, they're really the birth of Freemasonry as we know it was in 1717. So it's a little bit before that, but whatever, it's okay. right? But they're talking about the Grand Lodge. It started taking off, they developed their first Grand Lodge. Okay, so that's what that is. Now, then the first Grand Master of the Grand Lodge was this guy, Anthony Sayre. He cut his hair a little bit. He wasn't too much into rock. And, uh, and so then it goes to another guy named George Payne, right? And then in 1719, here comes your church thing. This is crazy. 1719, right, is this guy, John Theophilus de Sagliers. How do you pronounce that? This guy, okay, this guy was a, quote, clergyman. This is a professing something. I don't know why it's a church girl or whatever. This is a clergyman. Okay. And uh, so he gets involved in this. Okay. Uh, big time. And, uh, and then after this uh, guy, that's when he was the, this is the area of the last commoner, the average Joe, if you will, uh, being raised to grandmaster who's taken over the lodges. From this point forward, uh, it began to become members of nobility. And part of that was a strategic move to add more credence to this group called Freemasons. Because, I mean, after all, look at the king. He's a Freemason. Right? And so that's kind of the, the switch there. But basically, this guy 
is considered the father of Freemasonry, uh, as, as we know it, okay, as we can see there, because he was that first grandmaster guy. Then, let's deal with this guy. This is James Anderson. This guy was another so-called, quote, clergyman, okay, a Presbyterian clergyman, okay, James Anderson, uh, and he came on board because the other John guy, the DeSaglaris, whatever you pronounce that guy, the Grand Lodge guy, but this guy was a, quote, minister of the Presbyterian Church in London, okay? And the reason why he's a big name in Freemasonry is because he's the guy that wrote what was called the Constitution of the Freemasons for the use in lodges. This was in 1723. So this other clergyman comes along and basically begins to write their handbook. You're supposed to be a Christian? You're a pastor, a minister of the Presbyterian Church, and you're the one who writes the code and the thing for... It doesn't compute with me. So then after that, now they got some order, they got some structure, they begin to spread. It really began to spread. Uh, it goes through uh, many different towns, South Wales, Cheshire. Uh, then it begins to jump uh, into other countries. In the same year, a second Grand Lodge was found in Ireland. Uh, and then you had one in uh, another one, it begins to take off, even though there were some already developments there in Scotland. A Grand Lodge was born in there, 1736. Then it begins to go to the English, the Irish, the Scottish Lodges throughout Europe. And then, uh, next thing you know, it goes to France. Uh, in France, it goes from just a, a, a few to uh, tens of thousands. Uh, then it goes to Italy. Italy got their first uh, lodge uh, in Florence in 1731. Uh, then it goes to Germany. Uh, uh, and founded in 1744. Uh, they had their Grand National Mother Lodge in 1772, and part of it was because of this guy, Frederick the Great. He was the crown prince. And again, notice that if you're going to be the person who does the Grand Lodge, then you, you need to be somebody of nobility, prestige, and things of that nature. And again, they did that on purpose to help really get that out there, like this is a cool thing to be a part of. Believe it or not, after that, so now we're in Germany, we're pretty much throughout Europe has been infected. It now goes to Russia. Freemasonry began to spread in Russia. This is 1732. This guy, James Keith, uh, a little bit too much of the borscht there, but uh, he's uh, happy apparently, but he shouldn't be happy because if he's part of this, uh, not a good thing. Uh, so he, he begins to uh, produce this and promote this in Russia. Uh, and then most Russian lodges were attracted to the Swedish rite, uh, which was common in the Scandinavian countries. So they'd already been up there in the Scandinavian area with Russia, and they began to take off there. It took off really fast. But you look at all these places. Uh, was there ever any castles in Germany? Any castles in France? Any castles in Scandinavia area? In Austria? Right? All these places? Yeah. So these guys took this with them wherever they went. And believe it or not, and Freemasonry began to take off in the Middle East, okay? It spread to Egypt as early as the 1790s, and the part of it is because the French brought that with them when they came down with their campaigns in Syria and Egypt. So the Frenchmen brought it down to Egypt. Turkey takes off, and uh, Freemasonry began to be popular among the merchants in that area. The Ottoman Empire uh, began to take off. Numerous Sufi, if you're not familiar with Sufi, Sufi is a uh, segment of the Muslim community, Okay, that began to take off there. Uh, and then the Arab community, believe it or not, also got involved uh, on top of that, uh, thanks to this guy, Al-Qadir Al-Jaziri, okay, who was a big promoter, even got his three sons into Freemasonry, and he liked it because of its, quote, universalist effects. 
that all of us as religions can get there. So that's Europe. Europe very quickly became infected with this. Again, it started earlier in 1717, but really that was the watershed moment, the first Grand Lodge with the guy, and the, and the, and the two clergymen helping it to get off started, including their writings and their structure and order. Still can't believe that. But the big question is, well, wait a second. How did it come to America? Well, thanks for asking, John. It works well for notes. Remember the phrase during the Revolutionary War? The British are coming! The British are coming! Ah! Remember that? Well, guess what? Maybe there was more to that warning than we realized. It wasn't just the British were coming to try to take back the colonies. Guess what the British brought with them? Bingo. They brought Freemasonry with them. That's where it came from. They brought it over. Okay, the first so-called American, this is in New Jersey, in 1682, was this guy. He's actually a Scottish guy, but he was over here in America. He is accredited as being, quote, the first Freemason in America, a, a guy named John Skeen. Now, his notice his headstone still to this day. Notice his big claim to fame, the first Freemason resident in America, right? You go to any cemetery anywhere in the United States, I challenge you. You are going to see the compass and the square, the Freemason Center. You are also going to see the Eastern Star on the ladies' headstones. It's everywhere. I have pastored in California, New York, and Vegas, and it's everywhere. I grew up in the Kansas, Nebraska. Pick a state. Go visit the cemetery. Freak yourself out. Walk around, and you'll freak yourself out. Listen, with how many headstones have Freemasonry symbols on? They're everywhere. You think, well, wait a second. So all these people were Freemasons? I had no idea because it's a secret organization. But it's everywhere. You'll have them blended with like, oh, he's a Christian. But then all of a sudden, prominently, they have a Freemason symbol on there. How does that compute? But this is everywhere, folks. But he's the first guy uh, officially. That's his claim to fame, not a good claim to fame. In 1733 in America, Henry Price became the first Grand Master so again, lodges begin to take off. What do you need? You need a Grand Master Lodge. You need somebody to head it up. Well, here you got with this guy. He was the Grand Master over all America and uh, uh, from England and was granted a charter to the Boston Freemasons at that time. Later, it was named, renamed uh, St. John's Lodge, which was the first constituted lodge in America. Then in between 1733, 1737, you see them begin to spread to Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina. And again, many lodges were attached to, quote, the British Army regiments. So they brought it over with them. Civil War, after the Civil War, it began to explode. Uh, it tripled in membership from 66,000 by that time to 200 members to over 5,000 lodges. And I quote, this surge in membership helps explain the many stories of Masonic fraternization during the American Civil War. Well, that's a big word, Pastor Billy. What's it mean? Well, thanks for asking, John. Fraternization means this. This is when, and I quote, this is during the Civil War. Masonic soldiers and Masonic sailors rescued enemy combatants who identified themselves as members of the fraternity. So the North and South ain't supposed to be getting along. You're fighting a war. But if you do the secret knuckle handshake, then, because, and this tells you, they put everything, their allegiance of Freemasonry is above everything. They have a duty. If you have a, a fellow Mason, you have to do everything to help them out. 
Everything. Even an enemy on the other side of the war. And they did it. And that's what it's saying. Well, that explains why we saw that behavior, because Freemasonry, by even the Civil War, had spread massively across their country. So let me again give you an idea of some of these signals they would give each other. And it was like a code word that you have to help me out. You are honor bound to let me go and even rescue me, even though we're supposed to be enemies. But watch this. Demonstrate and show us what happens when you shake hands with a, a mason. Sure. What you'll see is they put the thumb there on. That would be the third knuckle from the thumb. So you see this very frequently. This is the inner apprentice. There are two for fellow graph, but master mason is right there. And whenever I've shaken somebody's hand that way as a mason, it's almost like a jolt. They get it. Masons will always go in to make that handshake because it's innocuous enough to know that, well, if you're not a Mason, you're not going to respond, but it's also obvious to a Mason to know that if you are, he's trying to communicate to you. Okay, the next thing that happens is that he says something to you after you make the handshake. If you don't know them, he will say, so you're a traveling, you're traveling. It means, you know, you're tra are you a brother? Are you traveling? Are you a brother? And, you know, are you on your journey in Freemasonry with me? So you say, yes, I'm traveling. Yes, I'm a brother. So that, that way, so the handshake plus the request, yeah. are you traveling? Yeah. Or, or, or are you tra traveling? Or, they, and the answer, yes, then they know that, they you're, know. that you're both of the same, you've got the same principles and you belong to the same lodge. And so, uh, not the same lodge, but the same brotherhood. So the same brotherhood whose laws transcend all laws. And they're, they're above all these other laws, according yes. to them. Yes. So that's one symbol. Now, you also mentioned about the different signs that they give in public when they have to. You mentioned something about asking for, for help and in danger. Perhaps you can give us some of those. Well, there was a situation uh, with another lawyer who was a mason that appeared before a judge, and he gave him the sign of the entered apprentice degree. And the judge understood that he was a mason and therefore gave a favorable ruling to his client. There are all different kinds of examples, but that's the benefits that you see because it was he was bound by a Masonic oath, and there was a request there he had to honor it. So, and and uh, and, and the the big distress you think you showed us before, but the uh, a Mason in distress, he's got three. Yes. What is that again? It's the hand grand healing sign of distress, and there's a, a statement that you make with it, which takes place in the third degree of Freemasonry, which is the death, burial, and resurrection ceremony that the Master Mason goes through, and it's, O Lord. My God, is there no help for the widow's son? This is the sign of distress. This is how your hands were placed on the volume of the sacred law when you swore your Masonic ob obligation, your oath. And is there no help for the widow's son refers to a mockery of our Lord. The widow is our lady. The Lord is the son. There is no help for him because we don't believe in his resurrection. That's a fraud. We believe in the Masonic resurrection. It's only through principles of Freemasonry that you're raised to eternal life. So, but the, the gesture is this, this, and That's this. correct. And so that's, that's, an, that's, a, that's a big sign for of distress. That's the big one. And you are bound at that point by your obligation to assist that brother in need, even if it requires you to give your own life. Now, what happens, what is the, there's another symbol beside for the second degree? And the second degree, yeah. You swear the oath this way. That's called the do guard. The entered apprentice degree, the do guard, and this, the do guard is how you have your hands positioned on the volume of the sacred law when you swear your oath. The do guard is this, and the sign is the penalty of the oath, entered apprentice degree. The fellow craft degree, the do guard is this, and the sign is this. The penalty of the fellow craft degree is having your chest torn open and your heart plucked out and placed on the temple. And then finally, in the Master Mason degree, your hands are placed on the scriptures this way during your oath. That's the do guard. And the sign is this. 
having my bowel, my body severed in twain and my bowels taken thence and burned to ashes, the ashes scattered to the four winds of heaven. So those are the signs. If a mason gives any one of those signs, whatever position he's in, maybe he has to do this, maybe he has to do this, you know, it's kind of covert, but that immediately alerts you that that is a brother in need and something needs to be done. In fact, I was uh, doing business in another state and uh, I thanked my cab driver with that handshake and he lit up and he said, hey brother, the lodge is down the street, whatever you need, we have a meeting next week, you're more than welcome, just with the handshake. And it still goes on today. And you wonder why people get these insane court rulings. How did that guy go? It's nuts. Well, makes you want to go back and watch the tape. What was he doing at the appropriate time? Stuff still goes on to this day, right? And again, they are bound. What's it say? That law, the masonry law, and that binding is above every law, including the law of our land. And these people are everywhere. Masonic incidents are also recording involving Freemasonry. Also, again, this is the fraternization, what you're seeing, basically giving favors to fellow Masons. Uh, they would give them, and this is during the Civil War, special treatment to Masonic POWs. And they would also uh, bury them during battle, a fellow Mason, even if it was the opposite side. And the whole Masonic funeral, that's a whole other aspect. But during this time, it was called the Golden Age of Fraternalism. And just for kicks, here in the U.S., there's also a history of Freemasonry making its way into Mexico in the early 1800s. But let's take a look at the membership uh, itself. It's, quote, defined, and this is their definition, not mine, a religious quest for spiritual enlightenment. So how could you keep saying, oh, it's just a guy's getting together to do some good things for the community? Oh, it's just good. No, they admit it's a spiritual quest for spiritual enlightenment. Uh, they use metaphors. They use allegories and things of that nature. A system of morality veiled in allegory illustrated by symbols, right? And then there's certain requirements that they have, right? You don't just show up at the door and knock him, right? But here's uh, some of their requirements. And it depends on what, you know, a particular lodge. But you must be a man who comes from his own free will. And again, as you saw, they've opened it up for ladies, Okay, belief in a supreme being, which is what? Open interpretation by the candidate. So you could be bringing the Hindu God, you could be bringing the Quran, you, could, you know, you just, you just got to believe in a God, right? James chapter 2, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Hello, they're not saved. Be at least the minimum age from 18 to 25, depends on the jurisdiction. Be of good morals and good reputation. Nobody's good, no one righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3. Be of sound mind and body. Lodges had in the past denied membership because of physical disabilities. However, if a potential candidate says a disability will not affect or not cause problems, it will not be held against them. This, my personal opinion, is the loophole that allowed for Colonel Sanders to get in. Because cooking chicken is a disability. I'm sorry. Let's just deal with it. And, okay, that's my version. But anyway, that's right. And then finally, they say you got to be freeborn, i.e. born free, i.e. not born a slave or a bondsman. That's holdover from history. Uh, they removed that one. Finally, you must be capable of furnishing characteristic uh, references, uh, uh, including one or two references from current Masons, depending on the jurisdiction. Typically, it's another Mason that will approach you uh, and invite you and things of that nature. Now, let's get to that. That's just getting your, you know, quote, accepted. Well, you ain't done. You're just getting started. The next thing you got after the requirements is you got, and this is what you might be familiar with, is what's called the degrees. You got to go through the different degrees of masonry. 
right? All Masons strive to at least try to make it to the third degree or what's called the master Mason level, okay? And there's a bunch of other degrees. We'll get to that in a second. But here you can see kind of a breakdown of the levels that you try to work your way up to to be that good Mason to make it to heaven. Let's take a look. Freemasonry defines itself as being a system of morality. The basis of Freemasonry, which all Masons go through, is the Blue Lodge. The Blue Lodge being the first three degrees or levels of Freemasonry. Entered Apprentice, the first degree, Fellowcraft, the second degree, and Master Mason, the third degree. Most Masons never go beyond third degree. Although if one chooses to go beyond the Blue Lodge, there are two routes that can be taken. One is the York Rite, and one is the Scottish Rite. Most Masons who decide to go past the Blue Lodge enter the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. The Scottish Rite has 32 degrees. The 32nd can lead one into the Shriners, if one so chooses. The 33rd degree, which does exist, is largely honorary. Many Masons go through the first three degrees, become a Master Mason, and they just quit there, thinking that this is just a nice fraternal organization. And they do not realize that their own leaders have consciously lied and deceived to them because they do not want them to know the true teachings of masonry. I went in there um, with all good intentions, um, thinking I was uh, entering to, you know, into a, a fraternity that, that was really interested in, in helping people. But... Uh, now, I realize that in the lower echelons, in the lower degrees, uh, you don't realize what, what's happening. Well, the meaning of the Lodge and um, what it was about to me was a group of people who were out to help other people. And there were different things that you could see in the Lodge. The people were close together. They were bound by something. And I thought it was a... Christian organization. What made uh, one think that the uh, lodge was uh, a Christian place was the fact that I found people who were uh, members of the same church uh, to uh, which I belong, the Presbyterian Church in Canada, were members of the lodge, uh, members in prominent positions in the lodge. And the fact that these members uh, in their rituals used uh, quotations from scripture uh, sort of doubly made one think that it was okay. They think that they are actually being initiated into a Christian organization. And it's because the three degrees in, in the Blue Lodge are veiled in a, in a veneer of Christianity. Like Mormonism, like Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian Science, it's, it's, there's a layer of Christianese, okay, and, and, and I get that. And, and notice how a lot of them thought, well, it sounds Christian. But, again, that's what those other pseudo-Christian groups do. They say they're Christians. Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, or does it make them Christian? Also, notice it was... People to, it was like a fraternity, it was like a brotherhood. they here to help each other out and help the community out. And what do Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses excel in? That exact same behavior. And that's why I remember one lady, she got sucked into it. Why? Because she was a single mom with kids, came to a community, right, all alone, having to reestablish. I think she was getting away from a bad relationship. 
and, and, and not condoning that. That was the right thing to do, per se. Uh, but guess who came in and says, hey, you need a job? You need furniture? What do you need? Need a refrigerator? What do you need? You just join our group. That was the Mormons. Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. They excel at this. But this is nothing new. This is what Freemasonry does. And, and I get it. I'll give these guys a little bit of room here. Like, well, I thought I was Christian because the guy was kind of sort of quoting Scripture. Uh, and then the other thing that sucked him in is people in the church are here, including the Grand Master. Doesn't make it right. But, but, uh, but I will say this. So I get it that it's couched in Christianese. I get it that they are being deliberately dishonest to suck you in. And you'll find out later if you keep going up the degrees what you're really doing. But I, I, I'm sorry. I still have a problem with it. Because I, how anyone can make it past even just the first degree, you saw the first three, how anyone can make it past the first degree as a professing Christian, taking that bloody oath, being blindfolded with a chest, uh, your sword to your chest, signing allegiance to an organization that they can rip your guts out and cut your neck if you reveal any secrets. How, how do you even make it past that first one? I, I don't care if he, they quoted scripture and the elder from that church down the streets there too. So who, who can make it through that first part? I don't care if you're doing good. So yes, I get it that you're couching Christianese, but I've heard that so much. I'm like, but how do you make it past the first thing? If you're really a Christian. Okay. Now let's take a look at those degrees, right? Uh, and again, this begins to explain the problems. The first degrees you saw is the entered apprentice. This, now, pay attention. This is very critical. This degree begins a man's journey into Freemasonry. It represents what? Youth. So the first phase, the first degree, youth. Second degree is called fellow what? Craft. Key word there, craft. This degree symbolizes man in what? Adulthood and represents work. So youth, adulthood. The third degree, as you saw, was the master mason. Right? This degree represents man in his what? Old age and relates to wisdom. Now, I shouldn't have to put this up there because I know you guys got all those studies memorized. But does any of that sound familiar? It is exactly carbon copy, the first three phases of witchcraft. You got the maiden in her youth. You got the what's the next phase? The mother, right? In her adulthood. And you got the crone the old lady who now is full of wisdom because of years of life. It's the exact same three phases of witchcraft. Exactly the same. Again, what's the other word for masonry? Craft. They just dropped the witch part. So it's an occult say. Let's continue on. The fourth one's the secret master. The fifth one's the perfect master. Right? Uh, the sixth one's the intimate secretary. The seventh one's the provost and judge. The eighth one's the itinerant of the building. Uh, is that the secret code for janitor? You're the janitor now? I don't know, but anyway, that's right. The ninth one, the master elect of nine. This degree teaches, listen, that truth often emerges from the clash of opinions and to look at life and duty and God through the minds of others who do not share the same religious faith. Again, got to tolerate anything and everything. This comes out repeatedly. The tenth one's the master elect of 15. The eleventh one is the sublime master elected. The twelfth one's the grand master architect. The thirteenth, the master of the ninth art. The fourteenth, the grand elect master. Mason, this degree describes the constant endeavor of perfection of character. Again, they believe by being a good Mason is how they're going to get to heaven, especially if you know the secret word, which we'll see in a second. I'm not joking. 
Okay, the 15th degree is the ninth of the east sword. The 16th is the prince of Jerusalem. You might want to tell Netanyahu that. The 17th, the ninth of the east and the west. The 18th, watch this, the ninth of the rose cross. Uh, in this degree, the principle of what? Tolerance is affirmed and grants to each man the right to answer in his own way and his convictions. It's up to you. Whatever you believe is true to you. Sound familiar? We just think that just arose in our country out of chance. No, that's the heart of Freemasonry, folks. 19th, the Grand Pontiff. This degree proclaims the spiritual unity of what? All who believe in God and cherish the hope of immortality, no matter what religious leader they follow or what creed they pray. You just called Jesus Christ a liar. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to follow except through him. This explains why, as I shared with you last time, that guy, after I preached a very basic polemic study on the uniqueness of the cross, the uniqueness of Christ and Christianity, compared to other religions, remember that? He came up to me and says, you shouldn't be doing that. Why? Because I was preaching contrary to Freemasonry. You've got to tolerate all. You can't say that your way is the only way. I'm just quoting scripture. This was the guy in the church, if you were here last time. Right, twentieth uh, is a master in vitum degree. Uh, the twenty-first, the patriarch Noachite. Twenty-second uh, is the prince of Libanus. The twenty-third degree, the chief of the tabernacle. The twenty-fourth degree is the prince of the tabernacle. This teaches that mutual belief in a supreme power should bind all men together in a worldwide brotherhood. In other words, a one-world religion. Twenty-fifth is the knight of the brazen serpent. This degree is a clarion call to faith in ourselves, in each other, and in God. You are never called to have faith in yourself. Other people, our faith alone is in Jesus Christ. The 26th is the Prince of Mercy. The 27th, the Commander of the Temple. The 28th, the Knight of the Sun. The 29th, the Knight of St. Andrew. This degree emphasizes the Masonic teachings of equality and toleration. We are reminded that no one man, no one church, no one religion has a monopoly on the truth. We must respect the opinions of others. There it is again. Do you see the common thread? It's one and all. But I went there and, okay, yeah, they had the big compass thing on... Uh, on the Bible, but it was a Bible. It's got to be Christian. Yeah, but it could be the Quran. It could be the Hindu Vedas. It's whatever they want to make it. And even that, they don't even, they admit that it is not biblical based, that it's only through God. The only source of authority is the Bible. And the only way to heaven is only through Jesus Christ. Again, how do you go to sleep at night and you profess to be a Christian? You're a part of this, right? But then the 30th degree, the Grand Elect Knight of Kadosh, 31, the Grand Inspector Quizzer Commander, 32, the Sublime Prince of the Royal Sect, and the 33 degree, the Inspector General or the Sovereign Grand Inspector General is there. Now, let's talk about these 33rd degree guys because people make it all the way to the top. By the way, again, we'll get into different segments because you saw there's the... There's Freemasonry. Then you got the York Rite. Then you got the Scottish Rite. And then that breaks down here, whatever. But there's other, and they actually have up to 99 degrees. Right? So, anyway. So, this is the Scottish Rite leading to the Shriners, the party animals of the Freemasonry. Okay, but 33 degree Mason. Now, figures have, uh, uh, that you may or may not realize in our country aren't just Freemasons. They made it all the way to the top. 33rd degree. Let me pull out a couple of them. Uh, Ron, the spirit of Something was all over you earlier because we're going to talk about golf, including Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer uh, was a 33-degree Mason. Uh, and uh, he, quote, uh, he was, had a commitment to charitable work uh, and to, quote, uh, exemplify the principles upheld by Freemasonry. Interesting. So was this guy, John Glenn, the first American to orbit to Earth, 33-degree Mason. Uh, also a respected U.S. senator, an influential figure. 
Hey, speaking of uh, politics, uh, so is this guy, Jesse Jackson, 33-degree Prince Hall Freemason. I wonder what signs he's showing there. Interesting. He's a so-called Baptist minister, right? And believe it or not, he admitted on tape, I think this was from two years ago, to another Freemason why he did it. Watch this. It's on tape. Brother Jackson, I know you were initiated into the most worshipful principal uh, lodge of the state of Illinois on Memorial Day in 1987. How did that come about? I, I'm sorry to ask this question. It's not as significant as some of the things you're saying, but I know it's on all the brothers' minds. How did you become a Mason, and, and why did you become a Mason? Well, uh, growing up, I appreciate it. In, in the South, growing up, the, 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 the men of the Masonry had stature and dignity and a sense of covenant with each other. I admire that. I don't say much about it. I admire that very much. Reverend Jesse Jackson, a supposed Baptist minister. You look at what he's involved in, what he's doing, what he's promoting, tolerance. wonder where he gets that idea. And you're looking at some of the behaviors. You look at the background of some of these people. How do they keep getting away with this stuff? Because there's a lot of judges, a lot of lawyers that are Freemasons, folks. They're everywhere. I'll guarantee you they're still they're in here in Vegas. Right? Let me give you another one, a little shocker on this one. Harry Truman. He wasn't just a Freemason. He was a 33-degree Freemason. He, quote, actively participated in Masonic ceremonies and supported the fraternity's goals and ideals. Hey, anybody a fan of the FBI? Isn't the FBI just one of the most brilliant organizations that's ever lived? I mean, when we think of the FBI, we think of that's Americana at its best. Right? It's messed up. You wonder why our government's messed up? You wonder why our Congress is messed up? You wonder why the FBI's messed up? Well, check it out. Edgar Hoover was a 33-degree Mason. And, quote, uh, shaped the policies and structures of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. As a dedicated Freemason, he sought to promote the fraternity's values and uh, aims during his tenure. Interesting. And it's still going strong. You're absolutely right. That explains some things. But let's take a look at some of these people who were Freemasons. Watch this. Number one, Theodore Roosevelt, Masonic Rough Rider. Known for his spirited personality and progressive policies, the 26th U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt was also a committed Freemason. Roosevelt was initiated into the Masonic Fraternity in 1901, the very year he assumed his presidential role. His Masonic journey ran parallel to his presidential term, embodying qualities such as fortitude, strength, and commitment qualities that are central to Masonic principles and mirrored in Roosevelt's energetic presidency. Number 2. J. Edgar Hoover, the Masonic Lawman. John Edgar Hoover, the inaugural director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, served in the position for nearly five decades. Beyond his professional life, Hoover was an active Freemason, initiated into Federal Lodge No. 1 in Washington, D.C., in 1920. The Masonic principles of law, order, and secrecy mirrored Hoover's professional mandate, underscoring intriguing parallels between his career and the fraternity. Throughout his life, 
Hoover demonstrated his commitment to the Masonic Brotherhood, offering a unique perspective on the fraternity's influence within the spheres of law enforcement and intelligence. Number 3. Lyndon B. Johnson, Masonic Initiate in the Presidential Office. The 36th U.S. President, Lyndon B. Johnson, bears a unique distinction among Masonic presidents. In 1937, he was initiated into the Masonic Order but did not advance beyond the first degree, known as the Entered Apprentice Degree, within Blue Lodge Freemasonry. Despite not reaching the higher degrees of the Order, Johnson's Masonic connection exemplifies the enduring relationship between the ideals of Freemasonry and the principles of American political leadership. Number 4. Gerald Ford, a Presidential Masonic Luminary. Gerald Ford, the 38th U.S. President, was not only an active participant in Freemasonry but also an honored leader within the fraternity. His journey began with initiation in 1949 and continued through his political career. Even after his presidential term, Ford's commitment to Freemasonry remained steadfast. The Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, a branch of the fraternity, honored him with their highest recognition, which underscores the depth of his ties to the fraternity and illuminates the long-standing relationship between Freemasonry and American political leadership. Number 5. Colonel Harlan Sanders, the Master Mason of Fried Chicken. Colonel Harlan Sanders, globally recognized as the founder of the famous fast-food franchise Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC, was not just an entrepreneur but also a dedicated Freemason. Sanders embarked on his Masonic journey in 1919, exhibiting an enduring commitment to the fraternity's principles and values. His devotion led him to attain the 33rd degree in the Scottish Rite, the highest honorary degree in Freemasonry. The success of Sanders in the business world while adhering to Masonic values underscores the fraternity's impact in diverse fields, including politics, culture, gastronomy, and commerce. Did you really think I was only going to show that one time? <laughs> Repetition increases remembrance. Remember that. That's right. Wow. wonder how he got favors and getting his business going. You see, and there's a lot more presidents. I wonder why it just seems like we're on this endless cycle of just rotten president after rotten president, a rotten Senate, a rotten, a rotten Congress. We, you know, and, and not just Democrats, but what do we call them? What's the, what's the phrase we use today? Rhinos. What's, what's going on here? How come these guys say one thing, but they do another? It's like, it's like they have allegiance to somebody else other than the Constitution. It's like there's a law above the law you're supposed to obey of the land. You wonder why the FBI is so messed up and the internal thing. What, what's going on here? It's like somebody is always pushing this globalism, anti-American agenda. What's going on? Well, maybe Freemasonry has something to do with that. But again, you take a look at this. Is, is this any business for any Christian to be a part of? I, again, how do you do it? And Lord willing, next time we're going to get into the beliefs of Freemasonry, okay? And, and that's going to hopefully, you're going to see that there's just no way uh, any Christian should have any business being a part of this. It's going to get even, even more blunt, okay, with that. But they get it wrong on the source of authority, the nature of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, man, and the means of salvation. And yet, not just in the world, not just in our government, and not just in countries around the world, 
But Freemasonry, as you saw, and we're going to get into a little bit more teaser next time, Lord willing, it's all over the church, I'm telling you. But let me give you a teaser. We're going to get into this next time, their beliefs. We've seen some of the things. They're definitely pro-one world. They're, they work their way to heaven, whatever. But we're going to get into their belief structure and, again, how you can make it through that and somehow say, That's, I'm a Christian and this is perfectly fine, is beyond me. But let me give you a little teaser of just how far off base they are from Christianity. And what are these guys really trusting in? Remember, I mentioned they, they think that they're going to get to heaven by being a good Freemason. It's not only that. They believe that they have the icing on the cake. They have learned the secret word. Did you know there's a secret word oh, yeah. to get you to heaven that only the secret organization Freemasonries know? Wait till you hear what this so-called secret word is. But this, I'm just giving a little teaser. This is how far off base they are from biblical Christianity. This is not a Christian organization by any means, but, but watch this. Dr. Carlson, the Masons claim that they can trace their history all the way back to King Solomon. What about that? Well, Masonry actually began in 1717 A.D. Well, that uh, sure doesn't get it back to King Solomon. <laughs> but what they do is they have all these stories and legends in the Masonic Lodge that they say that when King Solomon was building the temple that Hiram Abiff, his architect, lost the true name of God. And so Masons are now on a search for the true name of God's lost name. How he lost his name is beyond me. But Masons claim that they have discovered the true name of God. And when you get to the seventh degree, the Royal Arch degree of the Scottish Rite, they say that the true name of God that was lost, that all Masons worship, is Jobulin. It's written in their ritual books, J-B-O. It is a combination of three deities. They say that the true God is a combination of Jehovah, Baal, and remember Elijah fighting the prophets of Baal, yeah. and Osiris, the Egyptian sun god, and they say that that makes up the Trinity. I'll tell you folks, God is not going to share his glory with pagan fertility cults of Baalbek and with Osiris, the Egyptian sun god, and yet this is what they say in the seventh degree is the true name of God that all Masons worship. Then when you get to the 17th degree of the Scottish Rite, you discover that they have a secret password, and they whisper this word only in the Masonic Lodge. And only Masons, they say, know the true password that will get them into heaven. Oh. And they are given this in the Masonic Lodge. Well, we have seen thousands of Masons come out, uh, and I have learned what they all say is a secret password given to them that they will say when they enter eternity. And the secret password in the 17th degree is Abaddon. Well, the first, first time I heard that, I said, you know, I've, I've heard that somewhere. Well, yes. <laughs> and in the book of Revelations, chapter 9, it says that the chief demon over the pit of hell, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon. The chief demon over the pit incredible. of hell. Incredible. And Mason say that is their secret password that will open up eternity to them. It will open up eternity into hell. Because the only name to get you there is Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ, not Abaddon, the demon over the pit of hell. Isn't this crazy or what? And people out say, oh, we're, we're Christians. We're just Christians. We're just Christians. There's a Bible. 
The elders in the church are part of it. It's Christian. Not even close. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into that. In the that was your little teaser of how wacky and far off they are. But this is what people do. And they, they on a bloody oath, under penalty of death, they are bound to that above the Scripture, above Jesus Christ, above anyone, above the law of the United States of America. This is what's going on with that organization. Lord, when we'll get into that next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior, if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. 
That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay you may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.